Introduction This chapter reviews the common, non-malignant blood disorders of children. It is divided into four main sections. 1. Anemia. 2. Disorders of white blood cells. 3. Disorders of hemostasis. And 4. Transfusion of blood products. This is not an exhaustive review of all blood disorders, rather it focuses on the commonly encountered hematologic issues, normal and abnormal, and diseases in children. Some conditions span multiple pathophysiologic categories, but are only discussed in one section of this chapter. Anemia Anemia is defined physiologically as a hemoglobin concentration that is too low to deliver enough oxygen to meet cellular metabolic demands. Anemia is defined practically as a hemoglobin concentration two or more standard deviations below the mean value for age and sex. The normal hemoglobin concentration is relatively high in newborns, but declines with age reaching a nadir known as the physiologic anemia of infancy. This nadir occurs at 6 to 8 weeks of age in premature infants and 2 to 3 months of age in term infants. Thereafter, the hemoglobin concentration rises gradually throughout childhood, reaching adult values after puberty. The sex difference in hemoglobin concentration, males higher than females, becomes increasingly prominent during puberty. Anemia is not one condition, or a disease, in and of itself. Anemia has many causes, and it may occur in isolation or as part of a broader pathophysiologic state. Differential diagnosis There are three mechanisms of anemia. Decreased red cell production, increased red cell destruction, hemolysis, and blood loss or sequestration. Decreased red cell production may be caused by nutritional deficiencies, e.g., iron, suppression or inhibition of the bone marrow, by drugs, infections, autoimmune processes, toxins, inflammation, and other medical conditions such as renal or liver disease, bone marrow replacement, e.g., leukemia, metastatic disease, or bone marrow failure syndromes, either acquired, severe aplastic anemia, or congenital, e.g., diamond black fan anemia, Fanconi anemia. Hemolysis is synonymous with increased red blood cell destruction and is defined as a shortened red cell lifespan. Hemolysis may be caused by extrinsic, extracorpuscular forces, like autoantibodies, or intrinsic, intracorpuscular defects like enzyme deficiencies. Blood may be lost from the body acutely or chronically, or it may be sequestered from the circulation in certain disease states, e.g., acute splenic sequestration of sickle cell disease. Anemia is sometimes the result of a combination of two or more of these three basic mechanisms. Table 11 to 1 outlines the common causes of anemia in children. Clinical manifestations History A birth history should elicit risk factors for the development of childhood anemia, such as prematurity, low birth weight, hemorrhagic obstetrical or perinatal complications, and, if known, the occurrence of twin-twin, fetomaternal, or fetoplacental transfusion. For the young child, it is critical to obtain a dietary history with attention to excessive consumption of cow's milk or prolonged exclusive breastfeeding, both of which may cause iron deficiency anemia. It is also important to ask about pica, which is a neurobehavioral manifestation of iron deficiency, as it can lead to lead poisoning if there is lead in the child's environment. One should ask about overt bleeding from any site, including the gastrointestinal tract, melena, hematochesia, genitourinary tract, hematuria, menorrhagia, and other mucocutaneous sites, epistaxis, oral bleeding. The patient's race or ancestry and a family history of splenectomy or cholecystectomy may suggest an inherited hemolytic anemia. Poor weight gain should prompt consideration of a systemic disease or malabsorption. A history of recurrent acute or chronic inflammation, such as recurrent otitis media, may suggest anemia of inflammation. Medications can cause either decreased red cell production or hemolysis. One should also inquire about fever, bone pain, 
weight loss, bruising, jaundice, fatigue, rash, and cough that might suggest other systemic causes of anemia. Physical examination. A careful examination can reveal the presence and severity of anemia by the degree of pallor, skin, conjunctivi, mucosae, and loss of palmar crease pigmentation. The skin of severely anemic children, especially those with light to medium complexions, may appear yellowish, sallow, and this is important and easy to differentiate from jaundice. Jaundice is a different hue and is also visible in the sclerae, scleral icterus. A flow murmur may be heard in moderate to severe anemia. Tachycardia and postural changes in heart rate and blood pressure are seen with acute blood loss, but compensation to chronic anemia may lessen some of these findings. The examiner should seek clues of specific causes of anemia, such as jaundice, hemolysis, maxillary hyperplasia and frontal bossing, hemolytic anemia and ineffective erythropoiesis, petechia, purpura, and echimosis, bone marrow infiltration or failure, hepatomegaly and or splenomegaly, leukemia, inherited hemolytic anemias, lymphadenopathy, leukemia or chronic inflammation, and short stature, abnormal facies, cafe au lait macules, and bony abnormalities of the thumb and forearm, which are associated with bone marrow failure syndromes. Table 11-2 lists physical findings that suggest a specific cause of anemia. Diagnostic evaluation Initial laboratory tests needed to evaluate anemia include a complete blood count, which includes red cell indices, differential white blood cell count, reticulocyte count, and peripheral blood smear. The most important laboratory clue to the cause of anemia is the reticulocyte count, which provides evidence about the mechanism of anemia. The bone marrow responds to hemolysis by increasing red cell production, releasing into the circulation immature red blood cells called reticulocytes, reticulocytosis. Decreased red blood cell production results in a reticulocyte count that is too low for the degree of anemia, reticulocytopenia. One must take care to interpret the reticulocyte count in the context of the degree of anemia. The second most important laboratory clue to the cause of anemia is red blood cell size, measured as the mean cell volume, MCV. Individual types of anemia may be macrocytic, normocytic, or microcytic. One must take care to interpret the MCV based on age, sex, and race-matched normal values. Examination of the peripheral blood smear is also critical for the diagnosis of anemia, FIGS. 11 to 1 and 11 to 2, as it provides morphologic clues about the red cells, white cells, and platelets that the complete blood count does not. Table 11 to 1 outlines the most common causes of anemia and classifies them according to mechanism of anemia and red blood cell size. The combination of a history, physical examination, complete blood count, which includes an MCV, reticulocyte count, and peripheral blood smear is usually sufficient to diagnose accurately the most common forms of anemia without the need for further expensive and unnecessary tests. However, many other tests are available that can clarify or establish the diagnosis when initial testing is insufficient. With hemolysis, serum lactate dehydrogenase and indirect bilirubin can be elevated, whereas haptoglobin may be decreased. Urobilinogen may be detected on urinalysis. A direct antiglobulin test demonstrates the presence of immunoglobulins on the red blood cell surface and is diagnostic of immune hemolytic anemia. A glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, G6PD, assay should be considered in African-American and Mediterranean individuals with hemolytic anemia, although it can be falsely negative during acute hemolysis. Hemoglobin separation techniques, isoelectric focusing and high-pressure liquid chromatography, are used to diagnose hemoglobinopathies. Newborn screening procedures to identify infants born with significant hemoglobinopathies, such as sickle cell disease and severe forms of thalassemia, are currently in place in every state in the United States.
serum iron concentration, total iron binding capacity, TIBC, and serum ferritin levels may confirm a diagnosis of iron deficiency when first-line testing is insufficient. Positive heme tests of stool or gastric contents indicate gastrointestinal bleeding. The erythrocyte sedimentation rate, ESR, is generally elevated in anemia of inflammation. In children, a macrocytic anemia is most worrisome for a syndrome of bone marrow failure or infiltration, so a bone marrow examination is often needed. Vitamin B12 and red blood cell folate levels may also be measured, although dietary deficiencies of these nutrients are uncommon in children in developed nations. Treatment Treatment depends on the underlying cause of the anemia. Specific conditions and their treatment are discussed below. Microcytic anemias with decreased red blood cell production. Hypochromic microcytic red blood cells result from impaired synthesis of either the heme or globin components of hemoglobin. Inadequate heme synthesis may be the result of iron deficiency, recurrent or chronic inflammation, sideroblastic states, or copper deficiency. Decreased globin synthesis is the hallmark of thalassemia. Iron deficiency anemia, the thalassemia syndromes, and the anemia of inflammation are the most common causes of hypochromic microcytic anemias. Lead intoxication, whose main hematologic feature is basophilic stippling, not microcytosis, is discussed in detail in Chapter 21. The microcytosis that may be seen with lead intoxication is usually caused by concomitant iron deficiency. Iron deficiency causes a microcytic anemia and pica. Pica can result in ingestion of lead and the noncausal association between lead and microcytosis. Iron deficiency anemia Iron deficiency, the most common cause of anemia during childhood, is usually seen between 6 and 24 months of age but is not uncommon during adolescence. Iron deficiency may be caused by inadequate dietary intake of iron, decreased iron endowment at birth, blood loss, or malabsorption of iron. Nutritional iron deficiency develops when rapid growth and an expanding blood volume put excessive demands on iron stores. Dietary risk factors include extended exclusive breastfeeding, more than six months, without iron supplementation, consumption of low iron formula preparations, early institution of low iron solids, excessive cow milk intake, and the absence of iron supplements in high-risk situations, e.g., prematurity. The iron present in breast milk is much more bioavailable than the iron in cow's milk, but it is still insufficient to provide enough iron beyond six months of age. Iron deficiency anemia can occur as early as three months of age in the premature infant who has inadequate iron stores at birth. It can occur in the infant or toddler who receives a diet exclusively composed of cow's milk, low iron formula, or breast milk, without iron supplementation after six months. Nutritional iron deficiency can also occur during adolescence when rapid growth may coincide with a diet with suboptimal iron content. This is a particular problem in adolescent females because of menstrual iron loss. Prenatal iron loss can occur from fetomaternal transfusion or from twin-to-twin transfusion. Perinatal bleeding may result from fetoplacental transfusion or obstetric complications such as placental abruption or placenta previa. Postnatal blood loss may be overt, bloody stools or traumatic hemorrhage, or occult, as with anomalies of the gastrointestinal tract, e.g., juvenile polyps, mechal diverticulum, inflammatory bowel disease, parasitic infestations, and idiopathic pulmonary hemosiderosis. Malabsorption of iron is uncommon, but can occur in certain disease states, e.g., celiac disease, or as an inborn error. Clinical manifestations Mild iron deficiency is usually asymptomatic. With moderate iron deficiency, hemoglobin concentration approximately 6 to 8 grams per deciliter, the child may have decreased appetite, irritability, fatigue, and decreased exercise tolerance. 
physical examination shows skin and mucous membrane pallor, tachycardia, and a systolic ejection murmur along the left sternal border. The child with severe anemia, hemoglobin less than 3 grams per deciliter, may show signs of congestive heart failure, which include tachycardia, an S3 gallop, cardiomegaly, hepatomegaly, distended neck veins, and rails. Children with slowly progressive, chronic anemia may be remarkably hemodynamically compensated. Glossitis, angular stomatitis, and coilonychia, spoon nails, are usually never seen in children with isolated iron deficiency anemia in developed nations. Table 11-3 lists the laboratory findings typical for the common causes of microcytic anemia. Bone marrow examination is not necessary to confirm a diagnosis of iron deficiency, but when performed demonstrates micronormoblastic hyperplasia of the erythroid line and absence of stainable iron. A response to appropriate iron supplementation is the best diagnostic test for iron deficiency. Treatment Mild to moderate iron deficiency anemia without evidence of congestive heart failure is treated with 3 to 6 mg per kilogram per day of elemental iron by mouth. The reticulocyte count increases within 2 to 3 days of iron therapy, and the hemoglobin increases at a rate of approximately 0.3 grams per deciliter per day after 4 to 5 days. The hemoglobin concentration normalizes within a month. However, iron therapy must continue, at a lower dose, 2 to 3 mg per kilogram per day of elemental iron, for 2 to 3 months after the hemoglobin normalizes to replenish tissue stores and prevent recurrent iron deficiency. If the hemoglobin does not increase as suspected, Considerations include non-adherence to iron, incorrect dose of iron, and incorrect diagnosis of iron deficiency, or malabsorption of iron. Transfusion of packed red blood cells is reserved for those with symptomatic anemia in whom a rapid correction is needed and those with impending or established high-output congestive heart failure. Although infants and young children can tolerate remarkable degrees of anemia, especially if the decline in hemoglobin is gradual, individuals with severe anemia must be transfused very slowly in cereal, small, 2 to 5 milliliters per kilogram, aliquots of packed red blood cells to avoid cardiac decompensation due to volume overload. Alpha and beta thalassemia Pathogenesis in clinical manifestations The thalassemias are hereditary anemias characterized by decreased or absent synthesis of one or more globin subunits of the hemoglobin molecule. Beta thalassemia is classically caused by deletions of one or more of the four beta globin genes, leading to reduced synthesis of beta globin. B thalassemia is classically caused by point mutations of the B globin gene, leading to reduced, beta plus mutations, or absent, beta zero mutations, synthesis of B globin. The result of decreased production of either the alpha or beta globin is an imbalance between the normally matched production of both, the key pathophysiology of thalassemia. This imbalance leads to an excess of one globin type, beta in alpha thalassemia, alpha in beta thalassemia, that may pair with itself, is unstable, precipitates, and damages the membrane inside the developing erythroblast, resulting in ineffective erythropoiesis and hemolysis. Thalassemias are classified by clinical severity. Thalassemia major is a transfusion-dependent condition. Thalassemia minor is the asymptomatic trait state with only mild anemia. Thalassemia intermedia encompasses all the conditions of intermediate severity between the major and minor states. Tables 11 to 4 and 11 to 5 classify the common thalassemia syndromes. The number of deleted globin genes determines the hematologic consequences of alpha thalassemia. These deletions can be cis or trans. Cis deletions occur when two beta globin genes are deleted from one chromosome, whereas trans deletions signify beta globin gene deletions on each of the two chromosomes. 
different races and ethnicities have varying rates of both cis and trans deletions of beta-globin genes in their population. Homozygous alpha-thalassemia major occurs when all four beta-globin genes are deleted. Failure to produce any beta-globin chains results in gamma-globin tetramers, hemoglobin BARTs, and small amounts of embryonic hemoglobins. Hemoglobin BARTs has a high affinity for oxygen and does not release it to the tissue. The result is severe anemia, tissue hypoxia, heart failure, hepatosplenomegaly, generalized edema, and death in utero because of hydrops fetalis. The cis deletion is most prevalent in Southeast Asians, so homozygosity for cis deletions also occurs in this population. Hemoglobin H disease, alpha-thalassemia intermedia, results from deletion of three of the four beta-globin genes. In normal infants, fetal hemoglobin, which consists of two beta-globin chains and two gamma-globin chains, predominates at birth, but declines thereafter as gamma-globin production falls and is replaced by beta-globin production. In newborn infants with hemoglobin H disease, the dearth of beta-globin leads to the formation of hemoglobin BARTs, gamma-globin tetramer, which accounts for 10% to 40% of the total hemoglobin. With the reduction of gamma-globin synthesis and the increase in beta-globin synthesis at birth, hemoglobin BARTs diminishes and hemoglobin H, beta-globin tetramer, predominates after the first few months of life. Hemoglobin H eventually accounts for 10% to 40% of the total hemoglobin, and normal hemoglobin A accounts for approximately 60% to 90% of the total hemoglobin. This diagnosis is most common in children with Southeast Asian ancestry. Affected individuals have moderate anemia, variable hepatosplenomegaly, and the need for intermittent transfusions. Alpha-thalassemia trait, also known as alpha-thalassemia minor, results from the deletion of two beta-globin genes. This defect manifests with mild anemia, hypochromia, and microcytosis. The alpha-thalassemia trait, present in 3% of U.S. blacks and 1% to 5% of those of Mediterranean descent, is often confused with mild iron deficiency. The hemoglobin electrophoresis may be normal in these children, or show decreased hemoglobin A2, and the diagnosis is often one of exclusion. It can be confirmed by parental or genetic studies. Those with deletion of only one beta-globin gene are called silent carriers for alpha-thalassemia because they have a normal or near-normal hemoglobin concentration and normal or near-normal red blood cell indices. The condition can be documented by quantitative measurement of globin chain synthesis or by gene analysis. A carrier can produce offspring, depending on the genotype of the normal parent, who are also silent carriers or have alpha-thalassemia trait or hemoglobin H disease. Beta-thalassemia major results either from complete or near-complete absence of beta-globin synthesis, classically, the beta-0, beta-0 genotype. Beta-thalassemia intermedia can occur with a variety of genotypes in which there is moderately diminished, but not absent, beta-globin production, e.g., beta-0, beta-plus or beta-plus, beta-plus genotypes. The child with beta-thalassemia minor, the heterozygous form, has one normal beta-globin gene and one abnormal beta-globin gene, e.g., beta, beta plus or beta, beta zero genotypes. Newborns with beta thalassemia have normal blood counts, unlike those with alpha thalassemia, because the fetus and newborn normally use fetal hemoglobin. In beta thalassemia major, severe anemia, organomegala, and growth failure progressively develop during the first year of life. If untreated, bone marrow hyperplasia and extramedullary hematopoiesis produce characteristic features such as frontal bossing, maxillary hypertrophy with prominent cheekbones, and an overbite. Failure to thrive is prominent in this population. Untreated, death occurs within the first few years of life because of progressive congestive heart failure. 
Despite severe anemia, there is a relative reticulocytopenia, reflecting the characteristic ineffective hematopoiesis. Peripheral blood smear reveals marked hypochromia, microcytosis, anisocytosis, and poikilocytosis. Hemoglobin F accounts for 95% of hemoglobin in the beta-0, beta-0 genotype and lesser amounts in other genotypes, e.g., beta-0, beta+. Children with beta-thalassemia intermedia have moderate anemia, variable hepatosplenomegaly, and the need for intermittent transfusions. Children with beta-thalassemia minor have only mild microcytic anemia. On blood smear, the hypochromia, microcytosis, and anisocytosis are disproportionately severe given the mild degree of anemia. Hemoglobin separation shows elevation of the hemoglobin A2 level and sometimes elevation of hemoglobin F. Epidemiology Thalassemia is most common in African, Southeast Asian, Mediterranean, and Middle Eastern populations. The most severe forms of alpha thalassemia, 3 and 4 gene deletions, occur frequently in the Southeast Asian population because of the high prevalence of cis deletions. Beta thalassemia is most often found in populations originating from the Mediterranean, Middle East, and India, but is found in Southeast Asian populations as well. Treatment Therapy for children with thalassemia major includes regular, monthly, packed red blood cell transfusions to ameliorate symptomatic anemia, suppress ineffective and extramedullary erythropoiesis, minimize organomegala and bone disease, and improve quality and duration of life. The usual goal of transfusion therapy is to maintain the nadir. Pre-transfusion, hemoglobin concentration is greater than or equal to 10 grams per deciliter. This regimen eliminates an increased erythropoietic drive, allowing normal linear growth and bone development. Suppression of erythropoiesis also decreases the stimulus for increased iron absorption, which helps minimize iron overload. Splenectomy is considered when transfusion requirements exceed 250 milliliters per kilogram per year. Iron overload develops in children with beta thalassemia, whether they are transfused or not, because of hyperabsorption of dietary iron. However, transfusional iron loading is the overriding mechanism. When the bone marrow storage capacity for iron is exceeded, iron accumulates first in the liver and then in the heart, pancreas, and gonads, damaging those organs and producing signs and symptoms of hemochromatosis. As a result, untreated or poorly chelated thalassemia patients develop cardiomyopathy and congestive heart failure as adolescents or young adults. Cardiac disease is the main cause of death in thalassemia major. To minimize the morbidity and mortality associated with iron overload, patients are treated with iron chelating agents such as oral deferocerox or subcutaneous deferoxamine. Bone marrow transplantation can be curative, but because of its associated morbidity and mortality, this procedure is best performed in specialized centers using HLA-matched sibling donors. Principles of therapy for thalassemia intermedia, alpha or beta, are the same as those for beta thalassemia major, but the need for transfusion and the complications of the disease, therapy depend largely on the severity of the anemia. Because of the constant state of increased erythropoiesis, folic acid supplementation is recommended for patients not maintained on chronic transfusion therapy in order to prevent folate deficiency and megaloblastic anemia. No treatment is necessary for alpha or beta thalassemia minor, although genetic counseling is recommended. Thalassemia trait may be mistaken for iron deficiency anemia because both may cause a mild microcytic anemia. Thalassemia trait should be considered in a child with presumed iron deficiency anemia who is compliant with, but does not respond to, an appropriate dose of iron therapy. The child with alpha thalassemia trait has a normal hemoglobin electrophoresis, outside the neonatal period, or a decrease in hemoglobin A2, 
whereas the electrophoresis of the child with beta thalassemia minor may show elevations of one or both of hemoglobin A2 and hemoglobin F. Anemia of inflammation Anemia of inflammation, once called anemia of chronic disease, can result from chronic inflammatory diseases, such as inflammatory bowel disease, juvenile idiopathic arthritis, jaw, chronic infections, and malignancy as well as relatively minor acute or recurrent viral infections. Typically, the anemia of inflammation is normocytic, but it is microcytic in 25% of cases. Inflammation increases the hepatic production of hepcidin, a key regulator of iron metabolism. Hepcidin induces the internalization and degradation of ferroportin, an iron transport protein, on macrophages and duodenal enterocytes. This impairs the release of iron from macrophages and absorption of iron by the gut, thereby limiting the availability of iron that is necessary for erythropoiesis. Anemia of inflammation can be thought of as a functional state of iron deficiency. This response likely evolved to sequester iron away from invading pathogens, thereby limiting their growth and replication. A modest decrease in the survival time of red blood cells in a relatively limited erythropoietin response also contribute to the anemia of inflammation. Clinical and laboratory features The anemia is usually mild, hemoglobin concentration approximately 8 to 10 grams per deciliter, and often incidentally discovered. Table 11 to 3 notes the laboratory findings typical for anemia of inflammation. As in iron deficiency anemia, the serum iron level is reduced. In contrast to iron deficiency anemia, the total iron binding capacity is low, and the serum ferritin level is normal or increased. Bone marrow examination shows micronormoblastic hyperplasia and an increase in storage iron, but a decrease in the number of iron containing erythroblasts. Treatment Treatment should be directed at the cause of the inflammation. The anemia will resolve spontaneously when the underlying inflammatory condition resolves. Therapy with iron supplements is unnecessary and ineffective unless comorbid iron deficiency is clearly documented. Some children with severe anemia of inflammation, such as those with prolonged or critical illness, may need a transfusion of packed red blood cells as a temporizing measure. Normocytic anemias with decreased red cell production Normocytic anemias with decreased red cell production have many causes. A common theme is impaired or inadequate bone marrow response to anemia, as occurs with replacement of the marrow by fibrosis, infiltration of the marrow by malignant cells, or deficiency of erythropoietin, e.g., chronic renal disease. The bone marrow may also fail because of toxic insults. Transient marrow failure states include transient erythroblastopenia of childhood, tech, human parvovirus-induced aplastic crisis, in patients with hemolytic anemia, and drug toxicity from myelosuppressive and chemotherapeutic agents. Anormocytic anemia also occurs with acute blood loss, in which a compensatory increase in total blood volume results in the anemia before the bone marrow has time to correct the deficit in red cell mass. The anemia of inflammation, discussed above, is often normocytic, especially early in the course of the disease. Transient erythroblastopenia of childhood Tech is an acquired pure red cell aplasia due to temporary suppression of bone marrow erythropoiesis. The exact cause of TEC is not known, although a number of viruses have been epidemiologically linked to TEC. Human parvovirus is not believed to be the cause of TEC, however. As the name implies, TEC is self-limited and usually associated with normal white blood cell and platelet counts. Clinical and laboratory features TEC occurs between 6 months and 4 years of age, with a peak incidence at 2 years of age. The history and physical examination are unremarkable except for the gradual onset of pallor over the course of weeks or months. Often this is imperceptible to parents who see the child every day. 
An outside observer, such as a visiting grandparent, may be the first to recognize the pallor. There is no organomegala or lymphadenopathy, and the child is otherwise well. The anemia in TEC is normocytic, and the blood counts show reticulocytopenia, unless TEC is identified in the recovery phase characterized by reticulocytosis. Bone marrow examination, if performed, shows few erythroid precursors and normal myeloid and platelet precursors. The differential diagnosis of TEC includes diamond black fan anemia, DBA, which is a constitutional bone marrow failure syndrome. DBA usually presents before six months of age, produces a macrocytic, and is often associated with physical anomalies, such as characteristic, cathy, facies, hypoplastic thenar eminence, and triphalangeal thumb. Treatment The hemoglobin concentration is usually at its nadir at the time of diagnosis. Spontaneous recovery occurs within one to two months of diagnosis. Red blood cell transfusions are necessary only if the patient has symptomatic severe anemia or evidence of congestive heart failure. Normocytic anemias with increased red cell production. Hemolytic anemia. Normocytic anemias with increased red cell production are most commonly caused by hemolysis. Hemolysis is synonymous with increased red blood cell destruction and is defined as a shortened red cell lifespan. The anemia and consequent tissue hypoxemia is sensed by the renal interstitium, which produces erythropoietin in compensation to augment erythropoiesis. The result is a compensatory reticulocytosis. Hemolytic anemias can be caused by defects intrinsic to the red cell, intracorpuscular defects, or factors extrinsic to the red cell, extracorpuscular insults, that is damage from within or damage from without. In general, intrinsic defects are hereditary and extrinsic defects are acquired. Intrinsic hemolysis can be caused by defects of any of the three components of the red cell, the membrane, cytosol, enzymes, and hemoglobin. Intrinsic membrane defects include hereditary spherocytosis, HS, hereditary elliptocytosis, hereditary stomatocytosis, and paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, PNH. PNH is the only intrinsic defect that is not inherited. Hemoglobinopathies, sickle cell disorders, thalassemia, and enzyme disorders, G6PD deficiency, pyruvate kinase deficiency, are also intrinsic defects. Extrinsic hemolysis can be classified as non-immune and immune. Non-immune hemolytic anemias can be microangiopathic, disseminated intravascular coagulation, hemolytic uremic syndrome, thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, toxin-related, snake venom, copper, and arsenic, due to intraerythrocytic parasites, malaria, babesiosis, or extensive burns. Immune hemolytic anemia refers to hemolytic anemia caused by the deposition of antibody, complement, or both on the surface of the red cell that leads to its damage and eventual destruction. The following is a discussion of four common types of hemolytic anemia in children. Three are examples of intrinsic defects, HS, sickle cell disease, and G6PD deficiency, and one is an example of an extrinsic insult, autoimmune hemolytic anemia. Hereditary spherocytosis Spherocytes are abnormal red blood cells with a high surface-to-volume ratio, globular or spherical rather than discoid, produced by the loss of membrane without a proportional loss in cell volume. All spherocytosis is not HS. A number of other conditions also produce spherocytes, such as immune hemolytic anemia, sepsis, burns, and toxins. HS refers to a groups of related diseases caused by a congenital, intrinsic defect in the cytoskeleton of red blood cells, specifically a deficiency or dysfunction of one or more of the membrane-supporting proteins, spectrin, anchorin, band 3 protein, or protein 4.2, whose role is to maintain the proper deformability and elasticity of the erythrocyte. 
The defect shortens the red cell lifespan, that is, causes a hemolytic anemia, and produces the characteristic morphology, the spherocyte, after which the condition is named. The hemolysis occurs mainly in the extravascular compartment and in the spleen. The membrane of HS red cells is recognized as abnormal by splenic macrophages, and membrane fragments are removed with each passage of the red cell through the splenic circulation. This progressive loss of membrane produces spherocytes and microspherocytes. The poor deformability and osmotic fragility of spherocytes leads to their early destruction. Inheritance of HS is usually autosomal dominant, but 25% of cases are caused by new mutations or are autosomal recessive. Clinical manifestations HS varies greatly in clinical severity across patients, ranging from incidentally discovered, asymptomatic, mild anemia to severe anemia with growth failure, splenomegaly, and a requirement for chronic transfusions in infancy necessitating early splenectomy. Severe disease is uncommon, however, and HS is often diagnosed incidentally, when anemia is discovered on a blood count obtained for another purpose, or when screening is done for a family history of anemia. HS can also be discovered when investigating the cause of anemia or jaundice. Newborns may have exaggerated or prolonged neonatal jaundice, unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia, because of the hemolysis superimposed upon physiologic jaundice, and roughly the first or the third of may require transfusion for symptomatic anemia during the first few months of life when hemolysis is superimposed upon physiologic anemia of infancy. The need for transfusion during the neonatal period does not indicate that the child will have ongoing severe anemia and need further transfusion therapy later in life. Beyond the newborn period, the typical features of HS include jaundice, especially scleral icterus, which may be intermittent, and variable splenomegaly. Pallor and fatigue occur depending on the degree of anemia. Jaundice may only be noticed during febrile or other inflammatory illnesses when the hemolytic rate may increase. These episodes are called hyperhemolytic episodes, marked by increased anemia, pallor, and jaundice. These episodes resolve when the underlying illness abates. Some individuals have recurring hyperhemolytic episodes requiring transfusion. Infection with human parvovirus causes the transient aplastic crisis, a moderate to severe exacerbation of the underlying anemia due to temporary cessation of erythropoiesis. The aplastic crisis resolves when neutralizing antibody is formed one to two weeks following infection providing lifelong immunity and protection against further parvovirus infection. Because of chronic hemolysis, and the increased flux of bilirubin through the hepatobiliary system, individuals with HS may develop bilirubinate, pigment, gallstones, even in the first decade of life. These gallstones may be asymptomatic or cause typical signs and symptoms of cholecystitis or cholecolithiasis. Laboratory testing Laboratory studies typically show a mild to moderate normocytic anemia, reticulocytosis, elevated MCHC, and indirect hyperbilirubinemia. A conjugated hyperbilirubinemia may indicate cholelithiasis. Failing to obtain a reticulocyte count when evaluating for the cause of anemia, is a common reason that HS and other hemolytic anemias may be missed. During the parvovirus-related transient aplastic crisis the anemia will be more severe, and there will be an inappropriately low reticulocyte count. Upon recovery from the aplastic crisis, nucleated red blood cells will first appear in peripheral blood followed about one day later by a burst of reticulocytosis. Aplastic crisis discovered during the recovery phase may be mistaken for a hyperhemolytic episode, also characterized by increased anemia, in which the reticulocyte count is increased from baseline. HS can easily be diagnosed with a good history, e.g., intermittent scleral icterus, physical examination, e.g., mild splenomegaly, and family history e.g., anemia or cholelithiasis, 
along with a complete blood count, reticulocyte count, an examination of the peripheral smear, showing anemia, reticulocytosis, and spherocytosis. It is wise to exclude immune hemolytic anemia by a direct antiglobulin test, DAT. Further testing is usually not needed to confirm the diagnosis of HS. Osmotic fragility testing is a test for spherocytes, not HS. Any cause of spherocytosis, listed earlier in this chapter, will give a positive osmotic fragility test. Osmotic gradient ectocytometry can also demonstrate defects in red cell water content or volume, but not differentiate the different causes of spherocytes. A newer test, eosin 5 milliamide, EMA, binding, has high sensitivity and specificity for HS and might see increasing use when the diagnosis of HS is unclear. Treatment The most important treatment for HS is expectant management, awareness of and watchful waiting for possible complications, promptly addressing them if they arise, e.g., cholecystectomy for symptomatic cholelithiasis, and ongoing education of the patient and family about the disease. Folic acid supplementation is needed only for severe hemolytic anemia. Episodic transfusions may be given for symptomatic or life-threatening anemia during the transient aplastic crisis or hyperhemolytic episodes. The need for multiple or regularly scheduled transfusions should prompt serious consideration for splenectomy. Splenectomy can often cure the hemolytic anemia, although the underlying red cell defect remains. Splenectomy should be reserved for those patients with symptomatic hemolysis affecting quality of life, e.g., fatigue, growth failure, the need for frequent transfusions. The risks of splenectomy include a lifelong, increased risk of overwhelming sepsis with encapsulated organisms, especially, streptococcus pneumoniae, as well as thrombosis and, possibly, pulmonary hypertension. Splenectomy should be delayed, when possible, until after two years of age, because the risk of sepsis is higher in the very young. Individuals who have a splenectomy need appropriate immunization before and after surgery, against the pneumococcus and meningococcus, and at least several years of post-splenectomy prophylactic penicillin, if not lifelong. Asplenic individuals also need to seek immediate medical attention for any high fever for the remainder of their lives. Sickle cell disease Sickle cell disease, SCD, is the name for a group of recessive genetic disorders caused by sickle hemoglobin, HBS. The most common and severe form of SCD is sickle cell anemia, HBSS, the homozygous state for the HBS mutation, beta-6-GLU.Val. Other forms of SCD result from compound heterozygous states with HBS and other abnormal hemoglobins, such as HBC, sickle hemoglobin C disease. In the United States, approximately 1 in 2,500 newborns and 1 in 400 African-American newborns has SCD, and at least 70,000 individuals are affected in the United States. Millions are affected worldwide. Genetics and pathophysiology. The common forms of SCD are listed in Table 11 to 6. Sickle cell trait, which is not a disease, is included in Table 11 to 6 for comparison. The two main pathophysiologic consequences of polymerization of HBSS, or sickling, are hemolysis and vasoocclusion. The mean RBC lifespan in HBSS is dramatically shortened to 10 to 20 days from the normal RBC lifespan of 120 days. The rate of hemolysis in SCD usually exceeds the rate at which new RBCs can be produced by the bone marrow. Sickle erythrocytes are also abnormally adhesive and have decreased flexibility. Consequently, they can adhere to and damage the endothelium of blood vessels and block the flow of blood. This microvascular obstruction, called vasoocclusion, leads to ischemia and infarction of different tissues. Diagnostic evaluation In the United States and some other countries, 
Universal newborn screening programs for hemoglobinopathies now identify individuals with SCD shortly after birth. Such early diagnosis is key to preventing early mortality from sepsis and acute splenic sequestration. Beyond the immediate newborn period, the laboratory evaluation of suspected SCD should include a complete blood count, reticulocyte count, and examination of the peripheral blood smear. Table 11-7 lists the usual hematologic findings in the common forms of SCD. To confirm a diagnosis of SCD, however, some analysis of hemoglobin, Hb, types must be performed. Abnormal Hb must be identified using at least two methods because they can be difficult to differentiate. Contemporary Hb separation methods include isoelectric focusing, IEF, and high-pressure liquid chromatography, HPLC. DNA-based diagnostic methods, which are increasingly available, and family testing may be needed in occasional diagnostic challenges. It is important to know that a sickle prep, or the sickle dex does not differentiate between SCD and sickle cell trait. These tests only confirm the presence of HBS, which is found in both SCD and the trait, so it is not helpful for the diagnosis of SCD. Because patients with SCD have a chronic hemolytic anemia, they also have unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia and variable elevations of lactate dehydrogenase, LDH, and aspartate transaminase, AST. After the first year of life, the peripheral blood smear in HBSS and HBS beta 0 shows variable numbers of potanomonic irreversibly sickled cells, as well as polychromasia, HAL jolly bodies, poikilocytes, and target cells. HAL jolly bodies are indicative of hyposplenism. Patients with HBSC and HBS beta plus usually do not have significant numbers of irreversibly sickled cells, but they have instead a larger number of target cells. The MCV is normal in HBSS and HBSC, unless there is coinheritance of alpha thalassemia. The MCV is low in HBS beta 0 and HBS beta plus. Leukocyte and platelet counts are usually moderately increased in SCD in the absence of infection. Clinical course At birth, newborns with HBSS have normal birth weight and are not anemic. Anemia and reticulocytosis usually appear between 2 and 6 months of age. Along with the anemia come jaundice and a cardiac flow murmur. Jaundice and flow murmurs are expected findings that should not cause concern. Splenic infarction and hyposplenism may begin to occur by 3 months of age. Therefore, it is necessary to prescribe prophylactic penicillin before this time to prevent pneumococcal sepsis. Before splenic infarction is complete, the spleen may be palpably enlarged. Nevertheless, it is still poorly or non-functional. Acute vaso-occlusive events are unusual before 6 months of age. The first painful event is often dactylitis, which is a painful swelling of the hands and feet. Dactylitis is rare beyond 3 years of age. Infections Children with SCD have a very high vulnerability to severe pneumococcal sepsis due to their early loss of splenic reticuloendothelial function, functional hyposplenism, because of continuous vaso-occlusive infarction. The damaged, enlarged spleen gradually becomes small and fibrotic, and it is rarely palpable after 6 years of age. Fatal pneumococcal sepsis is now rare in children with SCD in the United States because of universal newborn screening for hemoglobinopathies, prophylactic penicillin, and the protein-conjugated pneumococcal vaccine. Patients with SCD also have a predilection for osteomyelitis. Salmonella species cause about half the cases of osteomyelitis in SCD and staphylococci most of the rest. Splenic sequestration In young children in whom splenic autoinfarction is not yet complete, the spleen may become acutely enlarged and engorged with blood sequestered from the systemic circulation, with consequent severe anemia, hypovolemia, and marked splenic enlargement. 
The recognition of acute splenic enlargement and the signs and symptoms of acutely severe anemia by both parents and healthcare professionals is important to prevent a fatal outcome. Transfusion is needed for symptomatic or severe anemia. A plastic crisis. During many viral infections and inflammatory states, erythropoiesis may be modestly reduced, resulting in relative reticulocytopenia and transiently more severe anemia. Human parvovirus, however, temporarily destroys early red cell precursors in the bone marrow and causes a dramatic and potentially life-threatening anemia. This episode of severe anemia without appropriate reticulocytosis is called the aplastic crisis. Transfusion of blood is the most important intervention for symptomatic or severe anemia. Lifelong immunity against parvovirus prevents recurrent episodes. Acute painful episodes. Intermittent episodes of pain are caused by acute vaso-occlusion, primarily in bones and bone marrow, with consequent ischemia and inflammation. Infection, dehydration, and exposure to the cold may precipitate pain. Patients with SCD-related pain, even severe, typically have no accompanying physical signs, such as edema or erythema. An exception to this is dactylitis in infants and very young children. The treatment of the painful episode is symptomatic. Analgesia must be tailored to the degree of pain in the patient. A combination of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and opioid analgesics, titrated to effect, will usually achieve adequate pain relief. Overhydration is not helpful, and transfusion is not effective for uncomplicated painful episodes. Acute chest syndrome Acute chest syndrome is a pneumonia-like illness. Acute chest syndrome often starts as a small infiltrate in one lobe, but it can progress rapidly to involve multiple lobes, resulting in respiratory distress severe enough to require intubation and ventilatory support. Acute chest syndrome is a leading cause of death in adolescents and adults. Management includes oxygen supplementation for hypoxemia, maintenance of hydration without overhydration, adequate but not excessive analgesia, and antibacterials. Transfusions or exchange transfusions may be needed for moderate and especially severe cases. Stroke Children and adults with SCD may suffer stroke, causing paralysis and neurocognitive dysfunction. In the past decade, primary stroke prevention strategies using transcranial Doppler ultrasonography and chronic transfusion regimens have been quite effective at preventing stroke in children. Imaging of the brain and cerebral vessels is important for any child presenting with weakness or other signs or symptoms of stroke. Transfusion therapy, oftentimes exchange transfusion, is indicated for acute stroke and prevention of recurrent stroke. Chronic organ dysfunction and damage. In addition to early splenic dysfunction and involution, other forms of progressive organ dysfunction or damage occur with increasing age in the kidneys, bones, eyes, lungs, heart, and liver. Treatment. There are three main disease modifying treatments that can reduce the overall severity of SCD or cure it hydroxyurea, chronic transfusions, and hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. Hydroxyurea increases the concentration of HBF, which decreases sickling. Clinically, hydroxyurea reduces the frequency of painful episodes and acute chest syndrome. Chronic, monthly transfusions are effective at preventing most complications of SCD, but the most common indications are primary and secondary stroke prophylaxis. Complications of transfusions include iron overload and alloimmunization. Stem cell, or bone marrow, transplantation is the only potential cure for SCD. Widespread use of transplantation is limited by the lack of donor availability and toxicities of the procedure. Glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency G6PD deficiency, the most common red blood cell enzyme defect, is an X-linked condition. 
The deficiency of this enzyme in the hexose monophosphate shunt pathway results in depletion of nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide phosphate, NADPH, and the inability to regenerate reduced glutathione, which is needed to protect the red blood cell from oxidative stress. The most common forms of G6PD deficiency are the A and Mediterranean variants. The mutation that causes the A variant, found in approximately 10% of African Americans, produces an enzyme with a shortened half-life of 13 days. The Mediterranean variant occurs predominantly in persons of Greek and Italian descent. This enzyme is extremely unstable and has a half-life of only several hours. When there the red blood cell experiences oxidative stress, exposed sulfhydryl groups on the hemoglobin are oxidized, leading to dissociation of heme and globin moieties, with the denatured globin precipitating as Heinz bodies, which can be visualized by special stains. Damaged red cells are removed from circulation by the reticuloendothelial system. Severely damaged cells may lyse intravascularly. Known chemical oxidants include sulfonamides, nitrofurantoin, primaquin, dimercapril, and naphthalene. Hemolysis may also be precipitated by infection, inflammation, and, with the Mediterranean variant, ingestion of fava beans. Laboratory features and clinical manifestations The typical course of mild G6PD deficiency, as with the A variant, is episodic stress or drug-induced hemolytic anemia. Patients with the A variant have a limited degree of hemolysis that is restricted to the older red blood cell population with insufficient G6PD activity, because of the shortened half-life of the enzyme. The younger red blood cells, including the reticulocytes produced in response to hemolysis episode, have sufficient enzyme activity to resist oxidative stress and do not lyse. Hemolysis is most common in males who possess a single abnormal X chromosome. Heterozygous females who have skewed X chromosome inactivation may become symptomatic, as may females homozygous for the A variant. 1% of African American females are A variant homozygous. Severe G6PD deficiency, as with the Mediterranean variant, can result in hemolysis that can destroy most of the red cell mass because even the young red cells have insufficient enzyme activity. Hemolysis may be life-threatening, and transfusion may be needed. During hemolytic episodes, physical examination reveals jaundice and dark urine, caused by hemoglobinuria and high levels of urobilinogen. Laboratory tests reveal elevated and direct bilirubin and lactate dehydrogenase and low haptoglobin. Initially, the hemolysis exceeds the ability of the bone marrow to compensate, so the reticulocyte count may be low for the first three to four days. On peripheral blood smear, the red cells appear to have bites taken out of them, blister cells, or have an asymmetric distribution of hemoglobin, eccentrocytes. The diagnosis of G6PD deficiency is made by measuring enzyme activity. G6PD levels may be normal in the setting of acute, severe hemolysis because most of the deficient cells have been destroyed leaving only the younger cells with sufficient enzyme activity. Repeating the test at a later time when the patient is in a steady state condition is important. Treatment Patients with G6PD deficiency associated with acute severe hemolysis need to avoid drugs and chemicals that initiate hemolysis. Treatment is supportive, including packed red blood cell transfusion during significant cardiovascular compromise and vigorous hydration and urine alkalinization to protect the kidneys against damage from precipitated free hemoglobin. Autoimmune hemolytic anemia Immune hemolytic anemia may be allimmune or autoimmune. Allimmune hemolytic anemia results from antibodies produced by one individual against the red blood cells of another individual of the same species, such as hemolytic disease of the newborn caused by maternal-fetal incompatibility for minor RBC antigens, e.g., KEL. 
Isoimmune hemolytic anemia is a special case of autoimmune hemolytic anemia caused by isohemagglutinins, which are naturally occurring antibodies with specificity against the A or B antigens of the ABO blood group. Isoimmune hemolytic disease of the newborn is caused by maternal fetal ABO incompatibility. See Chapter 13. In autoimmune hemolytic anemia, the patient produces autoantibodies against autologous self-antigens on his or her own red blood cells. Autoimmune hemolytic anemias can be idiopathic, post-infectious, mycoplasma pneumoniae, Epstein-Barr virus, drug-induced, penicillin, quinidine, alpha-methyldopa, or may be a feature of an underlying autoimmune disease, e.g., systemic lupus erythematosus, or malignancy, e.g., lymphoma. Laboratory features the binding of antibodies, with or without complement, to the red blood cell membrane causes immune hemolytic anemia. These antibodies can be identified by the direct antiglobulin test, DAT, previously called the direct Coombs test, which is the diagnostic test for autoimmune hemolytic anemias. The antibodies that cause autoimmune hemolytic anemias may be of the Ig or IgM classes. Ig antibodies tend to be warm reactive, maximal activity at 37 degrees Celsius. They are considered incomplete antibodies because they can fix early complement components but cannot agglutinate red blood cells or activate the complement cascade in its entirety. Ig-mediated hemolysis occurs primarily in the extravascular compartment because of the trapping of antibody-coated red blood cells by macrophages in the reticuloendothelial system, especially the spleen. Ig antibodies are associated with idiopathic cases, underlying autoimmune diseases, lymphomas, and viral infections. IgM antibodies are usually cold-reactive, maximal activity at approximately equals 4 degrees Celsius. They are called complete antibodies because they can agglutinate red blood cells and activate the complement sequence through C9, causing lysis of red blood cells. Hemolysis occurs primarily in the intravascular compartment. IgM antibodies are associated with mycoplasma pneumoniae, Epstein-Barr virus, and some transfusion reactions. Clinical manifestations and treatment the typical presentation is a previously healthy young child with a rapid onset of fatigue, pallor, and jaundice. Splenomegaly occurs in a minority, and some have dark urine, hemoglobinuria. Depending on the degree, there may be tachycardia, a flow murmur, and even impending heart failure. A complete blood count shows anemia, which can be mild to severe, and a compensatory reticulocytosis. The peripheral smear shows anemia and polychromasia and varying degrees of spherocytosis and red cell agglutination. A presentation with mainly jaundice but mild or no hemoglobinuria is most consistent with Ig-mediated extravascular hemolysis, that is, warm autoimmune hemolytic anemia. A presentation with marked hemoglobinuria and mild or no jaundice is consistent with IgM-mediated intravascular hemolysis, that is, cold agglutinin disease. Therapy for autoimmune hemolytic anemia varies depending on the cause and the clinical condition of the patient. In general, treatment is supportive, with the judicious use of corticosteroids and packed red blood cell transfusions for warm autoimmune hemolytic anemia. Autoantibodies react with virtually all red blood cells, making cross-matching difficult, so close communication with the blood bank is necessary. In some severe chronic cases, other immunosuppressive pharmacotherapy and splenectomy may be indicated. Cold agglutinin disease tends to be steroid non-responsive, and keeping the patient warm can prevent some of the hemolysis. Macrocytic anemias with decreased red cell production Macrocytic anemias can be subclassified based on the presence or absence of megaloblastosis, a marker of ineffective DNA synthesis within a red blood cell precursor. Not all macrocytic anemias are megaloblastic, but all megaloblastic anemias are macrocytic. 
Causes of megaloblastic anemia include dietary vitamin B12 and folate deficiency, drugs that interfere with folate metabolism, methotrexate, trimethoprim, and some metabolic disorders, orotic aciduria, methylmalonic aciduria, Lushnihan syndrome. Macrocytic anemias without megaloblastosis result from bone marrow injury or failure, including bone marrow failure syndromes, diamond black fan anemia, Fanconi anemia, idiopathic aplastic anemia, myelodysplasia, drug-induced anemias, azitothymidine, valproic acid, carbamazepine, chronic liver disease, and hypothyroidism. Megaloblastic macrocytic anemias Vitamin B12 deficiency Vitamin B12, a coenzyme for 5-methyltetrahydrofolate formation, is needed for DNA synthesis. It is found in meat, fish, cheese, and eggs. Dietary vitamin B12 deficiency is rare in developed countries except in the breastfed infant whose mother is a vegan with poor attention to dietary sources of vitamin B12. Another cause of vitamin B12 deficiency is selective or generalized malabsorption. Vitamin B12 combines with intrinsic factor, which is produced by gastric parietal cells, and absorbed in the terminal ileum. Transcobalamin 2 then transports vitamin B12 to the liver for storage. The availability of vitamin B12 is reduced by any condition that alters intrinsic factor production, interferes with intestinal absorption, or reduces transcobalamin 2 levels. Disorders such as congenital pernicious anemia, absent intrinsic factor, juvenile pernicious anemia, autoimmune destruction of intrinsic factor, and transcobalamin 2 deficiency result in vitamin B12 deficiency. Other causes include ileal resection, small bowel bacterial overgrowth, an infection with the fish tapeworm Diphylobothrium latum. Clinical manifestations The effects of vitamin B12 deficiency include glossitis, diarrhea, and weight loss. Neurologic sequelae include paresthesias, peripheral neuropathies, and, in the most severe cases, dementia, ataxia, and or posterior column spinal degeneration. Vitiligo is the main dermatologic manifestation. Megaloblastic changes on peripheral blood smear include ovalocytosis, neutrophils with hypersegmented nuclei, more than 4 per cell, nucleated red blood cells, basophilic stippling, and howl jolly bodies. The hallmark of megaloblastic anemia is nuclear to cytoplasmic dyssynchrony in RBC precursors, the nucleus matures or develops more slowly than the cytoplasm. The mean corpuscular volume is usually greater than 100 fL. Medullary hemolysis results in elevated levels of serum lactate dehydrogenase, indirect bilirubin, and serum iron. In severe cases, megaloblastic anemia may be accompanied by leukopenia and thrombocytopenia. Diagnosis is confirmed by a subnormal serum level of vitamin B12. The Schilling test is no longer available clinically in the United States. Vitamin B12 deficiency also increases the blood concentration of homocysteine and methylmalonic acid, and these are useful markers of deficiency and response to therapy. Treatment Treatment for most forms of vitamin B12 deficiency, with the exception of bacterial overgrowth and fish tapeworm, is parenteral vitamin B12. The erythropoietic response is rapid, with marrow megaloblastosis improving within hours, reticulocytosis appearing by day 3 of therapy, and anemia resolving within 1-2 to two months. Folate deficiency Dietary folate found in liver, green vegetables, cereals, and cheese is converted by the body to tetrahydrofolate, which is required for DNA synthesis. Because folate stores are relatively small, deficiency may develop within one month and anemia within four months of deprivation. Etiologies include inadequate dietary intake, impaired absorption of folate, increased demand for folate, and abnormal folate metabolism. Dietary deficiency of folic acid is unusual in developed countries.
children at risk or infants who were fed goat milk, evaporated milk, or heat-sterilized milk or formula, each has inadequate folate content. Malabsorptive states of the jejunum, such as inflammatory bowel disease and celiac sprue, can cause folate deficiency. Increased demand for folate occurs with an increased rate of red blood cell turnover, hyperthyroidism, pregnancy, chronic hemolysis, malignancy. Relative folate. Deficiency may develop if the diet does not provide adequate folate to meet these needs. Certain anticonvulsant drugs, phenytoin, phenobarbital, interfere with folate metabolism. Clinical manifestations. Specific symptoms are often absent, although pallor, glossitis, malaise, anorexia, poor growth, and recurrent infection may be seen. Unlike vitamin B12 deficiency, neurologic disease is not associated with folate deficiency. Laboratory findings include low red blood cell folate and normal serum vitamin B12 levels. Megaloblastic changes on peripheral blood smear and bone marrow aspirate are the same as those noted with vitamin B12 deficiency. Treatment it is imperative not to misdiagnose B12 deficiency as folate deficiency because treatment with folate may result in hematologic improvement and allow for progressive neurologic deterioration. Treatment with 1 mg of folate given orally each day for 1 to 2 months treats the anemia and replenishes body stores. Clinical response is rapid, following a time course similar to that of vitamin B12 replacement therapy. Children with chronic hemolytic conditions may require folate supplementation. Non-megaloblastic macrocytic anemias Dietary vitamin B12 and folate deficiency are rare in children in developed nations. So, the evaluation of a child with microcytosis should always include consideration of non-megaloblastic causes. Bone marrow failure disorders may be congenital or acquired, and it is especially important to consider congenital disorders in children. Prognosis and treatment depend upon the diagnosis. This section briefly discusses two congenital, diamond black fan anemia, Fanconi anemia, and one acquired bone marrow failure syndrome, severe aplastic anemia. Diamond black fan anemia Diamond black fan anemia, DBA, is a congenital pure red cell aplasia. Both autosomal dominant and recessive patterns are reported. 25% of patients have a mutation in the ribosomal protein S19 gene, RPS19. Mutations in several other ribosomal protein genes have been described recently. Clinical manifestations and diagnosis the anemia develops shortly after birth but is not usually detected until later. When symptoms develop, 90% of cases are diagnosed within the first year of life. Infants present with mild macrocytosis and reticulocytopenia. On hemoglobin electrophoresis, there is an elevated hemoglobin F red blood cell adenosine deaminase is often elevated. 25% of patients have associated congenital anomalies that include short stature, web neck, cleft lip, shield chest, and triphalangeal thumb. Tech is an important consideration in the differential diagnosis of DBA, see above. Generally, DBA tends to present at a younger age than tech and is usually macrocytic, unlike tech. Children with DBA are at high risk for multilineage bone marrow failure and leukemia later in life. Treatment Two-thirds of patients respond to oral corticosteroids, oftentimes with a very low, subphysiologic, dose, with an improvement in or resolution of anemia. Steroid responders may maintain their response indefinitely or eventually lose the response. Those who do not respond to steroids, lose their response, or have excessive steroid-related toxicity may be transfusion-dependent. Bone marrow transplantation with a matched sibling donor is an option for some patients. Fonconi anemia Fonconi anemia is an autosomal recessive disorder that results in pancytopenia. One form is X-linked. 
Mutations in over a dozen known genes can cause Fanconi anemia. The disorder results from defective DNA repair mechanisms that lead to excessive chromosomal breaks and recombinations. These chromosomal anomalies are found in all cells of the body, not just the hematopoietic stem cells, although there may be somatic mosaicism. The mean age at onset of pancytopenia is 8 years. Clinical manifestations and diagnosis Common signs include hyperpigmentation in cafe au lait spots, microcephaly, microthalmia, short stature, horseshoe or absent kidney, and absent thumbs. Hematologic manifestations include progressive pancytopenia. Macrocytosis is universal even before the onset of anemia, and elevated hemoglobin F is seen on hemoglobin electrophoresis. Approximately 10% of children with Fanconi anemia develop leukemia during adolescence. Diagnosis is confirmed by demonstrating increased chromosomal breakage with exposure to depoxybutane, DEB, or other agents that damage DNA. Treatment Patients frequently require red blood cell transfusions for symptomatic anemia. Some patients have hematologic improvement with androgen therapy. Hematopoietic stem cell transplantation is the treatment of choice for progressive bone marrow failure if an HLA-matched donor can be found. Because of Fanconi anemia patients' DNA repair defect, the preparative, pre-transplant, doses of radiation and chemotherapy, both of which damage DNA, must be reduced from what is normally used for patients without Fanconi anemia to prevent severe morbidity and death. Severe aplastic anemia Severe aplastic anemia is an acquired failure of the hematopoietic stem cells that results in pancytopenia. The disorder may result from exposure to chemicals, benzene, phenylbutazone, drugs, chloramphenicol, sulfonamides, infectious agents, hepatitis virus, or ionizing radiation. Most commonly, a specific cause of aplasia is not identified, and it is termed idiopathic severe aplastic anemia. Post-infectious and idiopathic forms of severe aplastic anemia are caused by autoimmune destruction of hematopoietic stem cells and or the microenvironment of the bone marrow. Clinical manifestations and diagnosis Patients present with signs and symptoms referable to anemia, fatigue, pallor, thrombocytopenia, easy bruising, bleeding, and or neutropenia, fevers, infections. The onset of signs and symptoms is usually insidious and slow. Toxic exposures, medications, chemicals, radiation, are very rare causes of aplastic anemia in the United States, but a complete history should elicit any such exposures. The CBC shows cytopenias and almost always microcytosis. Aplastic anemia is diagnosed by the combination of peripheral pancytopenia and a hypocellular bone marrow. Treatment Without treatment, historically, 80% of patients die within three months of diagnosis from bleeding or infection. The treatment of choice is a bone marrow transplant with an HLA-matched sibling donor. Immunosuppression with antithymocyte globulin, ATG, and cyclosporin is used for patients who do not have a suitable donor. If transplantation is considered, it is important to minimize transfusions to reduce exposure to potentially sensitizing blood products. Neutropenic patients are at risk for serious bacterial infection and usually require antibiotics when they develop fever. Disorders of white blood cells White blood cells, WBC, or leukocytes, are the primary systemic defense mechanisms against infections. The total white blood cell count and the differential count often provide valuable clues for the diagnosis and treatment of a variety of conditions, hematologic and non-hematologic. Most often, increases or decreases in WBC number are transient or secondary to another condition. The leukocytes are broadly categorized as granulocytes, neutrophils, eosinophils, and basophils, lymphocytes, and mononuclear phagocytes, monocytes. 
Granulocytes are so named because of the presence of intracytoplasmic granules. Neutrophils are the largest population of granulocytes and are also referred to as segmented neutrophils, SEGs. These are the mature form of neutrophils. Band, or STAB, is the name for the immature form of the circulating neutrophil, not yet having distinct nuclear segmentation. An increase in the neutrophil count is often seen in the presence of inflammation and infections, especially bacterial but not exclusively. The terms left shift or bandemia refers specifically to an absolute increase in the number of bands, whether or not the total WBC count is increased. Neutrophils and monocytes are the phagocytes of the blood. Monocytes also function as antigen-presenting cells. An increase in eosinophils is often seen in allergic and atopic conditions as well as parasitic infections. In the presence of neutropenia, there is often a compensatory monocytosis. Basophils are the least numerous of the leukocytes and may also be involved in allergic responses. Lymphocytes are a critical component of the immune system, and are responsible for both humoral and cellular immune responses. When a child with a suspected WBC dysfunction is encountered, a thorough medical history including the past and family history should be obtained along with a detailed physical examination. In particular, a history of medications, toxins or other environmental exposures, and the frequency and severity of prior infections is absolutely critical. A family history of other similarly affected individuals with a history of early childhood or in utero deaths and any delays in umbilical cord separation should also be obtained. Recurrent fevers and infections of the skin and mucous membranes, especially of the perianal region and mouth, are particularly indicative of WBC dysfunction or deficiency. Gingivitis and oral mucosal ulcerations are common features of chronic neutropenia. White blood cell disorders can be broadly classified into abnormalities of WBC number, leukopenia or low WBC count, leukocytosis or elevated WBC count, and WBC function, leukocyte function disorders. Leukopenia is generally defined as a total WBC count of less than 4,000 cells per cubic millimeter. Because leukopenia may be due to suppression of one of more types of WBCs, one must pay close attention to the differential count. Neutropenia is arbitrarily defined as an absolute neutrophil count, ANC, less than 1,500 per cubic millimeter for individuals one year of age or older and less than 1,000 per cubic millimeter when under one year of age. African Americans commonly have lower neutrophil counts than Caucasians, with an ANC normally as low as 600 to 800. So, it is very important to consider the patient's race, ancestry when interpreting leukocyte counts. The most common causes of leukopenia and neutropenia are transient responses to infections, bacterial or viral, or drugs. In these cases, the mechanism of leukopenia could be variable, including antibody-mediated destruction, bone marrow suppression, or a shift into the tissue or marginated compartments. Neutropenia resolves when the infection resolves or the offending drug is discontinued. When neutropenia is prolonged, severe, or accompanied by decreases in other cell types, then a bone marrow examination should be considered. Fever or infection in the setting of severe neutropenia, ANC, 500 per cubic millimeter, often warrants parenteral antibiotic therapy and hospitalization. Decreases in other WBC types is much less common. A marked decrease in lymphocytes, especially in young infants, should prompt further evaluation for an underlying immune disorder, such as severe combined immunodeficiency. Viral infections and corticosteroids can also cause lymphopenia. An increase in the WBC count above the normal range is called leukocytosis and is most often encountered in response to inflammation, infection, allergy, or as a consequence of some malignancies. Leukocytosis is a normal physiologic finding in the newborn period, during stress, and in pregnancy. 
Leukocytosis is commonly seen in association with bacterial and viral infections and in chronic inflammatory states. An increase in neutrophils or lymphocytes is the most common cause for leukocytosis. Rarely, an increase in eosinophils, eosinophilia, can also be encountered. Disorders associated with eosinophilia include allergy and drug hypersensitivity, parasitic infestations, skin and connective tissue disorders, gastrointestinal disorders, and the idiopathic hyperiosinophilic syndrome. Disorders of leukocyte function are rare and may involve abnormalities in one or more of their normal physiologic functions which include motility and migration, chemotaxis, and bacterial ingestion and killing. Nonspecific clues to the presence of leukocyte function include chronic leukocytosis, especially in the well state, lack of pus formation, and delayed separation of the umbilical cord. Specialized testing is required for the diagnosis, and if leukocyte dysfunction is suspected, a referral to a pediatric hematologist is warranted. Disorders of hemostasis Normal hemostasis requires the integrity and interaction of blood vessels, platelets, and soluble coagulation, clotting, factors. Platelets and the vessel wall are the key participants in primary hemostasis, which includes vasoconstriction and the formation of a platelet plug at the site of vessel injury. The platelets that are activated at the site of tissue injury, in combination with exposed tissue factor, bring about the secondary hemostasis, which involves the formation of a fibrin mesh from the action of soluble coagulation factors on the surface of platelets and other cells. Bleeding can result from abnormalities in any of these systems. Defects in primary hemostasis typically cause bruising and mucocutaneous bleeding. In contrast, defects in secondary hemostasis classically cause hemarthrosis and hematomas. Disorders of platelets and of coagulation factors are discussed below. Examples of primary vascular anomalies that can cause bruising and bleeding include hereditary, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and acquired defects, vitamin C deficiency, scurvy, of collagen synthesis. Vasculitis, such as Henoch-Schönlein purpura, HSP, can mimic a bleeding disorder. HSP produces abdominal pain. Arthritis, nephritis, and palpable purpura, classically distributed over the buttocks and lower extremities. The term purpura is a misnomer because the palpable lesion is vasculitic, and HSP is not a hematologic or bleeding disorder. Disorders of platelets. Platelets are key participants in primary hemostasis. Platelet disorders can be either quantitative or qualitative. Quantitative abnormalities are identified by the platelet count, whereas qualitative disorders are detected by measures of platelet function. Thrombocytopenia, defined as a platelet count below 150,000 per cubic millimeter, is a common cause of abnormal bleeding. A low platelet count can result from decreased production or increased destruction of platelets. The adequacy of platelet production can be estimated, when necessary, by assessing the number of megakaryocytes in the bone marrow. Decreased platelet production can result from suppression or failure of the bone marrow. Bone marrow failure states causing thrombocytopenia include disorders resulting in pancytopenia, Fanconi anemia, idiopathic aplastic anemia, leukemia, congenital omegakaryocytic thrombocytopenia, thrombocytopenia absent radius, TAR, syndrome, and Wiscott-Aldrich syndrome. TAR syndrome, also known as congenital megakaryocytic hypoplasia, is an autosomal recessive disorder in which thrombocytopenia develops in the first few months of life and typically resolves spontaneously after one year of age. Absence of the radii is potanomonic, the thumbs are present. Wiscott-Aldrich syndrome is an X-linked disorder characterized by immunodeficiency, eczema, and mycothrombocytopenia, the platelets are small and few. Bone marrow transplantation is potentially curative. Examples of thrombocytopenia caused by bone marrow suppression include chemotherapeutic agents, 
acquired viral infections, human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, Epstein-Barr virus, measles, congenital infections, including toxoplasmosis, syphilis, rubella, cytomegalovirus, and parvovirus B19, and certain drugs, anticonvulsants, sulfonamides, quinidine, quinine, and thiazide diuretics. Acquired postnatal infections, with the exception of HIV, and drug reactions usually cause transient thrombocytopenia, whereas congenital infections may produce prolonged suppression of bone marrow function. Thrombocytopenia caused by shortened platelet survival is much more common than thrombocytopenia caused by inadequate production. Platelet destruction is most commonly immune-mediated. Thrombocytopenia in the newborn can result from allimmune or autoimmune antibodies. Allimmune antibodies are produced against the fetal platelets when the fetal platelet crosses the placenta and presents itself to the maternal immune system. If there is an antigen on the fetal platelet that does not exist on the maternal platelet, it is recognized as foreign and antibodies are created against the antigen. Maternal antiplatelet antibodies then cross the placenta, causing destruction of the fetal platelet. This disorder is known as neonatal allimmune thrombocytopenia. The maternal antiplatelet antibody does not produce maternal thrombocytopenia. Autoimmune antibodies are transferred to the fetus through the placenta when the mother has immune thrombocytopenia, ITP. These maternal autoantibodies cross the placenta and attack the fetal platelets. In contrast to allimmune antibodies, autoimmune antibodies also result in maternal thrombocytopenia, unless the mother has had a splenectomy. Depending on the platelet count, the presence of bleeding, and certain risk factors, neonates with allimmune or autoimmune thrombocytopenia may be treated with corticosteroids and or intravenous immunoglobulin, IVIG, until the maternal antiplatelet antibodies dissipate in fetal circulation. Washed maternal platelets or antigen-matched platelets are the best platelet product for neonatal allimmune thrombocytopenia. A discussion of childhood ITP appears later in this chapter. Heparin-induced thrombocytopenia is another form of immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, paradoxically associated with thrombosis. Microangiopathic hemolytic anemias also cause thrombocytopenia by decreasing platelet survival by entrapment in the small vessels, as with the RBCs, and removal from the circulation. Microangiopathic disorders include disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC, hemolytic uremic syndrome, HUS, and thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, TTP. DIC is discussed later. HUS, characterized by a microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, renal cortical injury, and thrombocytopenia, is a major cause of acute renal failure in children. Verotoxin-producing gram-negative organisms, such as Escherichia coli O157, H7, that bind to endothelial cells cause HUS. Because of endothelial cell injury, there is localized clotting and platelet activation. Microangiopathic hemolytic anemia results from mechanical injury to red cells as they pass through the injured vascular bed with fibrin deposition across the lumen, and thrombocytopenia results from platelet adhesion to the damaged endothelium with subsequent activation and removal. An estimated 60% to 80% of patients with HUS transiently require dialysis. Most children survive the acute phase and recover normal renal function. In TTP, there is a lack of the von Willebrand factor cleaving protease, ADAMTS13, with a resultant increase in the large multimeric forms of von Willebrand factor. These large multimers have an increased affinity for platelets which leads to their aggregation, activation, and eventual removal, thrombocytopenia. Other findings in TTP include microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, fever, renal involvement, and neurological findings. Diminished platelet survival can also result from platelet trapping, as seen with Kaposiform hemangioendotheliomas, Casabach-Merritt syndrome. 
Hyperspleenism refers to the nonspecific trapping of blood cells in an engorged or enlarged spleen of any cause, which is most commonly seen in sickle cell disease, thalassemia syndromes, Gaucher disease, and portal hypertension. Table 11-8 lists the common causes of thrombocytopenia during the neonatal, infant, and childhood periods. Two causes of thrombocytopenia in children are discussed below. ITP and disseminated intravascular coagulation. Immune thrombocytopenia. ITP, previously called idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, is condition caused by autoimmune destruction of platelets, primarily by antiplatelet autoantibodies. Antibody-coated platelets are destroyed in the reticuloendothelial system, especially the spleen. ITP may be primary, occurring in isolation, or secondary, as a feature of an underlying disease, such as systemic lupus erythematosus or HIV infection. Clinical manifestations Children typically present one to four weeks after a febrile or viral illness with the abrupt onset of petechia and bruising. Sometimes there is no clear antecedent illness. Some children will also have overt bleeding from the mucous membranes, such as epistaxis and oral bleeding. Severe bleeding, including internal and intracranial hemorrhage, is rare in children with ITP and can occur spontaneously or after trauma. There should be no history of fatigue, bone pains, weight loss, or unexplained fevers. Other than thrombocytopenia, the complete blood count should otherwise be normal, unless there is a clear and satisfactory explanation, e.g., anemia due to overt bleeding. The peripheral smear will show thrombocytopenia with the presence of characteristic large, young platelets, when the platelet count is less than about 20,000 per cubic millimeter. Physical examination only shows evidence, if any, of mucocutaneous bleeding, bruising and petechia, but no splenomegaly, hepatomegaly, or lymphadenopathy. ITP is usually a clinical diagnosis based upon a typical history, physical, and blood count. The abrupt onset of bruising and isolated thrombocytopenia, with large platelets but an otherwise normal blood count, without any other explanation in an otherwise healthy child with no organomegala or adenopathy. For most cases, the diagnosis of ITP does not require a bone marrow examination, extensive laboratory testing, or the detection of antiplatelet antibodies, which is a poor test for this purpose. However, if there are atypical findings on the history, physical examination, the complete blood count, or the peripheral blood smear, then bone marrow examination is indicated to exclude leukemia and aplastic anemia. If necessary to perform, a bone marrow examination will classically show megakaryocytic hyperplasia but normal myeloid and erythroid elements. Treatment Childhood ITP is typically a benign, self-limited disease that does not cause severe bleeding. 75% to 80% of the cases of childhood acute ITP resolve spontaneously within six months. Treatments to raise the platelet counts are only temporizing measures that do not affect the time to spontaneous remission or cure the underlying disease. A minority of children will have thrombocytopenia that lasts longer than six months, persistent ITP, or 12 months, chronic ITP. The progression to chronic ITP does not necessarily mean that a child will have lifelong ITP. Because childhood ITP is most commonly a benign, self-limited disease that does not cause major bleeding, and all treatments for ITP have side effects, inconveniences, and costs, physicians should take care to ensure that their treatments are not worse than the disease itself. The therapeutic plan should be carefully individualized, with primary attention to the presence of overt bleeding, rather than any arbitrary platelet count. Severe bleeding, although rare, often occurs despite treatment, so treatments do not necessarily prevent severe bleeding. There are two main therapeutic options. 1. Watchful waiting with education and reassurance awaiting spontaneous resolution or 2. Pharmacotherapy to temporarily increase the platelet count. 
For the child without troublesome overt bleeding, watchful waiting is most often appropriate. Pharmacotherapy is best reserved for children with troublesome, recurrent, or serious overt bleeding. Children engaging in risky physical activities or excessive parental anxiety despite education and reassurance. Children with oral hemorrhagic bully, wet purpura, as well as adolescents and young adults may tend to bleed more than other children, so pharmacotherapy may be indicated in these scenarios. The three most common first-line agents for ITP are corticosteroids, IVIG, and anti-D immunoglobulin. All three temporarily increase the platelet count, lasting for one to three weeks, so recurrent treatments may be needed. Children with chronic ITP and troublesome bleeding may require other interventions, such as splenectomy or immunosuppressive agents, e.g., rituximab. Newer thrombopoietin mimetics, like romoplastum and L-trombopag, are being studied in children. Just as important as any pharmacotherapy is education of the patient and family about medications and activities to avoid. Antiplatelet medications, such as aspirin, should be avoided completely. NSAIDs, like ibuprofen, have only weak antiplatelet effects in vivo, but are probably best to avoid as well. Acetaminophen is safe to use in ITP. Children should not engage in contact sports or engage in excessive roughhousing. Prudent protective measures should also be taken, like wearing a helmet when riding a bike, not sleeping on the top bunk of a bunk bed, or climbing to high places with the potential to fall, monkey bars, tree houses. Finally, families should be educated about the signs and symptoms of severe, especially internal, bleeding that require immediate medical attention, such as severe headache, vomiting, lethargy, or loss of consciousness. Disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC, normal homeostasis is a balance between hemorrhage and thrombosis. In DIC, this balance is altered by severe illness so there is activation of both coagulation, thrombin, and fibrinolysis, plasmin. Endothelial injury, release of thromboplastic procoagulant factors into the circulation, an impairment of clearance of activated clotting factors directly activate and amplify the coagulation cascade. Intravascular activation of the coagulation cascade leads to fibrin deposition in the small blood vessels, tissue ischemia, release of tissue thromboplastin, consumption of clotting factors, and activation of the fibrinolytic system. Coagulation elements, especially platelets, fibrinogen, and clotting factors too, V, and 8, are consumed, as are the anticoagulant proteins, especially antithrombin, protein C, and plasminogen. Platelets are also activated and removed from circulation. Acute and chronic conditions associated with DIC include sepsis, burns, trauma, asphyxia, malignancy, and cirrhosis. Clinical manifestations The bleeding diathesis may be diffuse, with bleeding from venipuncture sites and around indwelling catheters. Gastrointestinal and pulmonary bleeding can be severe, and hematuria is common. Thrombotic lesions affect the extremities, skin, kidneys, and brain. Both ischemic and hemorrhagic strokes can occur. The diagnosis of DIC is a clinical one bolstered by laboratory evidence. Thrombocytopenia is evident, along with prolonged prothrombin time, PT, and partial thromboplastin time, PTT. Fibrin split products and D-dimers are elevated. Fibrinogen and factor V and 8 levels are low. The peripheral blood smear reveals schistocytes, which are seen with microangiopathic disease. Treatment The treatment of DIC is supportive. The disorder that caused DIC must be treated, and hypoxia, acidosis, and perfusion abnormalities need to be corrected. If bleeding persists, the child should be treated with platelets and fresh frozen plasma, which replaces depleted clotting factors. Heparin may be useful in the presence of significant arterial or venous thrombotic disease unless sites of life-threatening bleeding coexist. Disorders of coagulation 
Coagulation disorders can be inherited or acquired. The most common inherited defects are hemophilia A and B and von Willebrand disease, whereas vitamin K deficiency is an important acquired coagulation defect. Hemophilia A and B Hemophilia A is caused by deficiency of factor VIII and occurs in 1 in 5,000 males, whereas hemophilia B results from factor X deficiency and is found in 1 in 25,000 males. Both are X-linked recessive disorders. All other clotting factors are coded on autosomal chromosomes and are therefore inherited in an autosomal fashion. The lack of factor VIII or X causes a delay in the production of thrombin, which catalyzes the formation of the primary fibrin clot by the conversion of fibrinogen to fibrin which is then stabilized by the action of factor 13. Clinical manifestations Hemophilia A and B are indistinguishable clinically, excluding definitive laboratory testing and specific treatment, and the severity of each disorder is determined by the degree of factor deficiency. Children with mild hemophilia, 5% to 49% of normal factor levels, require significant trauma to induce bleeding, and spontaneous hemorrhage does not occur. Those with moderate hemophilia, 1% to 5% of normal factor levels, require moderate trauma to induce bleeding episodes but may also have infrequent, approximately yearly, spontaneous hemorrhage. Those with severe hemophilia, children with less than 1% of normal factor levels, may have frequent, spontaneous bleeding, approximately monthly, and bleed with very minor trauma. Mild hemophilia may go undiagnosed for many years and is sometimes diagnosed in the setting unexplained postoperative bleeding. Severe hemophilia manifests during infancy. Hemophilia is characterized by spontaneous or traumatic hemorrhages, which can be subcutaneous, intramuscular, or within joints, hemarthrosis. Life-threatening internal hemorrhage may follow trauma or surgery. In newborns with hemophilia, there may be intracranial bleeding from traumatic delivery or after circumcision. Otherwise, bleeding complications are uncommon in the first year of life. Circumcision should be avoided in boys with a family history of hemophilia. In both forms of hemophilia, the PTT is prolonged and the PT is normal. In hemophilia A, factor VIII coagulant activity is low, whereas in hemophilia B, factor X activity is low. Table 11 to 9 compares hemophilia A, hemophilia B, and von Willebrand disease. Treatment the mainstay of hemophilia treatment is intravenous infusion of the specific deficient factor. Factor therapy may be given on demand, given when bleeding occurs, or as part of an ongoing prophylactic regimen to prevent bleeding. An important long-term goal of therapy is to prevent crippling joint damage caused by recurrent hemarthrosis, hemophilic arthropathy. Recombinant factors aid and X are now the treatment of first choice. For mild to moderate bleeding episodes, such as hemarthroses, a single infusion to increase the factor level to at least 40% is appropriate. Sometimes repeat doses are given, with the frequency depending on the half-life of the factor, 8, 8 to 12 hours, X, 18 to 24 hours. For life-threatening bleeding, maintaining the factor level at 80% to 100% is necessary. Desmopressin acetate, DDAVP, a synthetic vasopressin analog, releases factor VIII from endothelial cells. When administered, it may triple or quadruple the initial factor VIII level of a patient with mild or moderate hemophilia A but has no effect on factor X levels. If adequate hemostatic levels of factor VIII can be achieved with DDAVP, it can be the initial treatment of bleeding for mild to moderate hemophilia A because DDAVP is an antidiuretic hormone analog, hemophiliacs who frequently use DDAVP should be monitored for hyponatremia caused by water retention. Mild acute bleeding episodes can be treated in the home once the patient has attained the appropriate age and the parents have learned how to administer recombinant factor VIII or X or DDAVP. 
Bleeding associated with surgery, trauma, or dental extraction can be anticipated, and excessive bleeding can be prevented with appropriate replacement therapy. Aminocaproic acid, amicar, an inhibitor of fibrinolysis, may help treat oral bleeding after a dental procedure. It is generally given before and after the procedure. Testing of blood products for HIV and hepatitis viruses did not begin until the mid-1980s, and as a result, many hemophiliacs contracted the viruses. Between 1979 and 1984, 90% of hemophiliacs who received plasma-derived factor products became HIV seropositive. Acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS, is the most common cause of death in older patients with hemophilia. Newer pooled, pathogen-inactivated concentrates are safe, and all recombinant preparations are free of viruses. The most significant complication of therapy today is the formation of inhibitors, which are neutralizing Ig antibodies directed against factor VIII or Ix. These inhibitors prevent infused factor replacement from working. Clinically significant inhibitors occur in 10% of patients with factor VIII deficiency and 1% with factor Ix deficiency. The treatment of bleeding patients with an inhibitor is difficult. For low titer inhibitors, options include continuous factor VIII infusions or administration of porcine factor VIII. For high titer inhibitors, it usually is necessary to administer a product that bypasses the inhibitor, such as recombinant factor VIIA or an activated prothrombin complex concentrate. Frequent use of high doses of prothrombin complex concentrates, and especially of the activated products, increases the risks of thrombosis, which has resulted in fatal myocardial infarction and stroke in adults. Induction of immune tolerance with continual antigen, factor, exposure can eradicate inhibitors. Von Willebrand disease, Von Willebrand disease is caused by deficiency of von Willebrand factor, VWF, an adhesive protein that connects subendothelial collagen to activated platelets. VWF also binds circulating factor VIII, protecting it from rapid clearance from the circulation. Von Willebrand disease is classified on the basis of whether VWF is quantitatively reduced but not absent, type 1, qualitatively abnormal, type 2, or absent, type 3. Clinical manifestations VWF is necessary to anchor platelets to the injured vessel wall, so the clinical manifestations of von Willebrand disease are similar to thrombocytopenia, including easy bruising, epistaxis, gingival bleeding, menorrhagia, and other mucocutaneous bleeding. In severe von Willebrand disease, there may be a marked, secondary factor VIII deficiency, because there is minimal or no VWF to carry and protect factor VIII from clearance, and the patient will also have manifestations similar to hemophilia, hemarthrosis, hematomas. Approximately 85% of patients with von Willebrand disease have classic type 1 disease, which results in mild to moderate deficiency of VWF. Many individuals with mild reductions in VWF levels have no bleeding at all. Diagnosis Laboratory testing includes measurement of the VWF antigen, VWF, AG, which is the amount of protein whether functional or not, and the VWF activity, which is measured functionally by the Ristocetin cofactor assay, VWF. RCOF. Analysis of VWF multimer pattern is required for a specific diagnosis. Other tests may be abnormal. The bleeding time, which is increasingly unavailable, may be prolonged. The PTT may be prolonged if there is a sufficient, secondary deficiency of factor VIII. The PFA100, platelet function analyzer, test is a newer test of platelet function which many had hoped would replace the bleeding time. This test measures the time taken for blood, drawn through a fine capillary, to block a membrane coated with collagen and epinephrine or collagen and ADP. This is referred to as the closure time and is measured in seconds and is abnormally prolonged in von Willebrand disease and in some platelet function disorders.
anemia, thrombocytopenia, antiplatelet medications, an improper specimen collection, handling, and processing, e.g., tubing, the sample to the lab, will also prolong the closure time, so a prolonged PFA 100 is not specific for von Willebrand disease. Table 11-9 compares the findings in classic von Willebrand disease with those in hemophilia A and B. Treatment The treatment of von Willebrand disease depends on the severity of bleeding, but is usually given to treat active bleeding, e.g., epistaxis, or prevent bleeding in a high-risk situation, e.g., perioperatively. DDAVP, which stimulates the release of VWF from endothelial cells, is the treatment of choice for bleeding episodes in most patients with type 1 von Willebrand disease. Patients with type 3 disease, who have no VWF to release, or with severe bleeding not responding to DDAVP, can be treated with a virally attenuated VWF-containing concentrate, humate P. Cryoprecipitate should not be used, because it is not virally attenuated. Hepatitis B vaccine should be given before exposure to plasma-derived products. As in all bleeding disorders, medications that alter platelet function, such as aspirin, should be avoided. Vitamin K deficiency Coagulation factors, factors 2, 7, X, and X, and antithrombotic factors, protein C and protein S, are synthesized in the liver and depend on vitamin K for their activity. The factors must undergo gamma-carboxyglutamation to become active, which is catalyzed by a vitamin K-dependent enzyme. When vitamin K is deficient, coagulation is impaired. Vitamin K deficiency often occurs because of malabsorption, especially with cystic fibrosis and with antibiotic-induced suppression of intestinal bacteria that produce vitamin K overdose of warfarin, a drug that interferes with vitamin K metabolism, causes severe deficiency of vitamin K-dependent factors. Similarly, maternal use of warfarin or anticonvulsant therapy, phenobarbital, phenytoin, may also result in vitamin K deficiency in the newborn. The most common disorder resulting from vitamin K deficiency is hemorrhagic disease of the newborn, which occurs in neonates who do not receive intramuscular vitamin K at birth. Clinical manifestations Although most newborn infants are born with reduced levels of vitamin K-dependent factors, only a few develop hemorrhagic complications. Because breast milk is a poor source of vitamin K, breastfed infants who do not receive prophylactic vitamin K on the first day of life are at the highest risk for hemorrhagic disease of the newborn. Peak incidence is at 2 to 10 days of life. The recommended preventive dose of vitamin K is 1 mg given intramuscularly. The disorder is marked by generalized ecchymosis, gastrointestinal hemorrhage, and bleeding from the circumcision site and umbilical stump. Affected neonates are at risk for intracranial hemorrhage. Both the PTT and PT are prolonged in vitamin K deficiency because factors of both the extrinsic, 7, intrinsic, X, and common pathways, 2, X, are affected. Prolongation of the PT is a more sensitive test for vitamin K deficiency because infants normally have a relatively prolonged PTT. The coagulopathy seen with hemorrhagic disease may be confused with liver disease or DIC, both of which have a prolonged PT and decreased factor 7 level. Table 11 to 10 differentiates vitamin K deficiency, liver disease, and DIC by laboratory data. Treatment Nutritional disorders and malabsorptive states respond to parenteral administration of vitamin K fresh frozen plasma or prothrombin complex concentrate, which is a mixture of coagulation factors 2, 7, X, and X, is indicated for severe bleeding along with vitamin K. Deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, and anticoagulation therapy. Venous thrombosis is rare in children but the incidence is rapidly rising with advances in supportive and intensive care, especially the use of indwelling venous catheters, epidemic obesity, and the increasing use of oral contraceptives. 
The estimated risk for thrombosis in children in the general population is 0.07, 10,000 and about 5.3, 10,000 in hospitalized children. The rate of venous thrombosis in children is only one-tenth of that in adults. Thrombosis in infants and teenagers accounts for 70% of the cases seen in children. Venous thrombosis develops under conditions of slow blood flow, an injured vascular endothelium, and in older children, unilateral acute limb swelling, with pain and discoloration, and distended superficial veins should make one suspect a deep vein thrombosis. Childhood thrombosis is usually multifactorial and is precipitated by the concurrence of multiple risk factors. The various risk factors for childhood venous thromboembolism are listed in the table 11 to 11. Indwelling venous catheters, central lines or ports, are the most common risk factor for thrombosis in children. Several genetic mutations have been identified that are associated with an increased risk of thrombosis. The most common mutations in the Caucasian population are the factor V. Leiden and the prothrombin gene G20210A mutations. In addition, hereditary deficiencies in the natural anticoagulant factors, protein C, protein S, and antithrombin are also associated with an increased risk for thrombosis. Diabetes, obesity, and nephrotic syndrome are some examples of concurrent medical illnesses that also increase this risk. Other risk factors include estrogen-containing oral contraceptives, smoking, and immobility. A potentially life-threatening complication of venous thrombosis is pulmonary embolism, which occurs when a thrombus or other substance, i.e., fat, air, bone marrow, enters and obstructs the pulmonary arterial circulation. Pulmonary embolism may lead to significant ventilation perfusion mismatch and respiratory distress. The lung parenchyma affected by the embolism can undergo necrosis leading to pulmonary infarction. Anticoagulation with various forms of heparin, unfractionated or standard heparin, low molecular weight heparin, or with vitamin K antagonists such as warfarin are used as standard therapy for the treatment of venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. In specific cases, thrombolytic therapy with tissue plasminogen activator, TPA, may be indicated to dissolve the thrombus. Rarely, surgical embolectomy is performed. A long-term complication of venous thrombosis is the post-thrombotic syndrome, characterized by chronic swelling, pain, skin changes, and prominent veins. Transfusion of blood products Blood products should only be transfused when strict clinical and laboratory criteria are met. Packed red blood cells, PRBCs, and platelets are the most commonly transfused blood products. Transfusion of granulocytes, whole blood, fresh frozen plasma, FFP, and cryoprecipitate may be warranted in special circumstances. PRBC transfusions are indicated for symptomatic or severe anemia. PRBC transfusions increase the oxygen-carrying capacity in anemic patients and help to ensure adequate tissue oxygenation. Sometimes transfusion is used to decrease the proportion of an abnormal hemoglobin. Like hemoglobin S it is more important to base the need for transfusion on an assessment of the patient rather than an arbitrary hemoglobin concentration. Chronicity of anemia, active bleeding, underlying cardiopulmonary disease, and other individual factors influence the decision to transfuse independent of the hemoglobin concentration. The volume of one unit of PRBCs derived from a routine blood donation varies from 250 to 350 milliliters, so it is important to calculate and consider ordering a specific volume of PRBCs, rather than a specific number of units of PRBCs, especially for younger children. Administration of 10 to 15 milliliters per kilogram of PRBCs usually raises the hemoglobin level by 2 to 3 grams per deciliter. This volume can safely be administered over 3 to 4 hours except in severely anemic, hemoglobin. IgA-deficient plasma. 
Acute hemolytic transfusion reactions are most commonly due to clerical errors resulting in administration of the wrong, incompatible, unit to the wrong patient. These reactions are characterized by a sudden onset of fever, chills, tachycardia, tachypnea, and vomiting with severe hemolysis that may result in multi-organ failure, shock, and dick unless, or despite, the transfusion is immediately stopped and necessary supportive care given. Infections, especially serious viral infections, are now extremely rare due to the intensive screening of donors and testing of products. The current estimated risk of transmission of HIV infection is about 1 in 2 million, that of hepatitis C virus is 1 in 2 million, and that of hepatitis B virus is 1 in 200,000. Other viruses can also be transmitted. Bacterial can also be transmitted by transfusion, especially of platelet products, which are stored at room temperature. Transfusion transmitted parasitic disease, malaria, babesiosis, should be considered in the appropriate clinical circumstances. A very small number of cases of new variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, NVCJD, have been transmitted by blood transfusion. Transfusion-associated acute lung injury, trolley, can be a serious, life-threatening complication of transfusion characterized by noncardiogenic pulmonary edema. The pulmonary injury is thought to be caused by the interaction of neutrophils and transfused antibodies, anti-HLA and anti-human neutrophil antigens, their deposition in, and damage to the pulmonary vascular bed. Pulmonary edema can also occur in another transfusion reaction, transfusion-associated circulatory overload, TACO, in which the blood product is transfused at a rate greater than the cardiopulmonary system can handle. TACO may occur, for example, when a severely but chronically anemic individual, who has a normal or high total blood volume in compensation, is given a normal transfusion volume, e.g., 11 to 15 milliliters per kilogram over 3 to 4 hours. Transfusion-associated graft-versus-host disease, TAH-GVHD, occurs when immunocompetent lymphocytes, which are normal passengers in PRBC and platelet products, even following leukofiltration, engraft in a recipient whose immune system cannot reject them. This is a very rare but fatal complication. Irradiation of blood products can prevent this complication, and it is indicated for immunocompromised individuals and neonates. Alloimmunization and delayed hemolytic transfusion reactions can occur in multiply transfused individuals who develop antibodies against alloantigens on red blood cells, white blood cells, or platelets. Alloimmunization may hinder the ability to find an appropriate blood product for a person who needs it. Red cell alloantibodies may also cause delayed, post-transfusion hemolysis. Iron overload, transfusional hemochromatosis, occurs in chronically transfused patients because the body has no mechanism to increase the elimination of iron. Iron chelation therapy may be needed, depending on the iron burden, to prevent organ injury and death. Key points anemia has only three causes, decreased red cell production, increased red cell destruction, hemolysis, and blood loss or sequestration. The mean corpuscular volume, MCV, and the reticulocyte count are the most helpful ways to approach and classify the differential diagnosis of anemia. The most common hypochromic microcytic anemias are iron deficiency anemia, the thalassemia syndromes, and anemia of inflammation. Transient erythroblastopenia of childhood, TEC, is a normocytic anemia caused by bone marrow suppression and occurs between 6 months and 3 years of age. Normocytic anemias with increased red cell production, increased reticulocytes, are most commonly caused by hemolysis. Hemolytic anemias are caused by extrinsic factors and intrinsic defects. In general, extrinsic factors are acquired, and intrinsic defects are hereditary. Extrinsic factors may be immune or non-immune. Intrinsic defects include membrane defects, hemoglobinopathies, and enzymopathies. Hereditary spherocytosis, HS, 
is caused by an intrinsic membrane defect in the major supporting proteins of the red blood cell membrane. Sickle cell disease is a group of related disorders resulting from an abnormal beta globin chain in the hemoglobin molecule, i.e., sickle hemoglobin, beta 6 GLU.val, which, upon deoxygenation, allows the polymerization of hemoglobin into insoluble rods that distort the red blood cell and damage it. The clinical manifestations of sickle cell disease include chronic hemolytic anemia, pain and other vaso-occlusive events, increased risk of bacterial infection, and chronic, progressive organ damage. Glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, G6PD, deficiency is the most common red blood cell enzyme defect. It is X-linked, and the severity depends on the mutation. Macrocytic anemias can be subclassified based on the presence or absence of megaloblastosis, a marker of ineffective DNA synthesis within a red blood cell precursor. Not all macrocytic anemias are megaloblastic, but all megaloblastic anemias are macrocytic. Megaloblastic Macrocytic anemias reflect ineffective DNA synthesis and can result from vitamin B12 or folate deficiency, drugs that interfere with folate metabolism, and some rare metabolic disorders. Macrocytic anemias without megaloblastic changes result from bone marrow failure and include bone marrow failure syndromes, diamond blackfan syndrome, Fanconi anemia, idiopathic aplastic anemia, myelodysplasia, drug-induced anemias, chronic liver disease, and hypothyroidism. Platelet disorders can be either quantitative or qualitative. Platelets are an important component of primary hemostasis, and either type of defect can cause mucocutaneous bleeding. Thrombocytopenia is the most common cause of abnormal bleeding in children. Thrombocytopenia caused by shortened platelet survival, which is much more common than thrombocytopenia caused by inadequate production, is caused by alloantibodies, autoantibodies, and microangiopathic states. Idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, ITP, results mainly from autoimmune antibody formation against platelets. Childhood ITP is typically a benign, self-limited disease that infrequently causes severe bleeding and often requires no pharmacotherapy at all. Disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC, results from severe illness, causing activation of both coagulation, thrombin, and fibrinolysis, plasmin. Deficiencies of coagulation factors, disorders or secondary hemostasis, are characterized by spontaneous or induced internal or external bleeding, such as hemarthrosis and hematomas. In contrast, defects in primary hemostasis, e.g., platelet disorders, cause mucocutaneous bleeding. Hemophilia results from a deficiency of factor VIII, and hemophilia B results from a lack of factor X. Both types of hemophilia are X-linked and characterized by spontaneous or traumatic hemorrhages, which can be subcutaneous, intramuscular, or within joints, hemarthrosis. Life-threatening internal hemorrhage may follow trauma or surgery. Severity depends upon the level of factor in plasma. Von Willebrand disease is caused by deficiency of VWF, an adhesive protein that connects subendothelial collagen to activated platelets and also binds to circulating factor VIII, protecting it from rapid clearance. It is characterized by mucocutaneous bleeding, epistaxis, gingival bleeding, cutaneous bruising, and menorrhagia. The most common disorder resulting from vitamin K deficiency is hemorrhagic disease of the newborn, which occurs in neonates who do not receive vitamin K at birth. The transfusion of blood products should be based on patient-specific indications and not on universal, arbitrary transfusion triggers for hemoglobin concentration or platelet count. The many potential complications of transfusion of blood products should be carefully considered before transfusion in consideration of the expected magnitude of the benefits.